On to Galatians 4. Um, I'm going to read you just just half of a paragraph, not the whole paragraph. Um, And um, we'll try to work our way through to the end of verse 16. So let me read it to you first. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, I feel this this very strong urge to, to almost apologize uh, for this text um, before we discuss it. <clears throat> and you, you know, of, because of my view of Scripture, you know I'm not ashamed of the, of the Bible in any way, but um, let, let me explain the reason that I feel the urge to, um, to apologize. Um, this text, this little section of the book of Galatians, is um, is taking you behind the scenes. Um, you know, some people call it. Um, it's taking you where the sausage is made. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure that all of you realize that this kind of stuff is even in your Bible. Um, it's, it's just one more proof to me that the, the Bible is inerrant and infallible and the very mind of God because it includes, you never find something like this in the Quran. All you find is irrational gobbledygook. Um, but here you, we are being led in on a spat, on a, um, on an argument that is taking place between a pastor and the congregation. Um, you, you know, I have three daughters. And one of my daughters lives in uh, Washington, D.C., and she, she goes to a really a dear little church. Um, you know, when we get to go up there and, and we... You know, I've just been more and more impressed with the place every time. It's, it's not a large place, maybe 350, uh, which is in national standards a pretty big church, but... Um, um, she loves her church. I love it that she loves her church. I love this guy that is the senior pastor. He, he just did, uh, he, he was raised in Martin Lloyd Jones's church. I think I've said that to you before, but um, good guy, good brother, older than I am. Um, but you know, she will come home for Christmas and and she will start telling me things about her church and and um, her church does some pretty odd things, <laughs> uh, not not full of error things, but for instance. Um, they will cancel church um, over the July the 4th weekend. They just shut down. I mean, they do that six or eight times a year. Um, you know, maybe for Halloween, they'll just take off. 
Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't think that's heresy. It's just odd. And, and every time I want to talk to her about it, she says to me, Daddy, I don't even ask. I don't want to know. I love my church, and I don't want to know what's going on back there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're about to be taken back there. Um, you, you know, back there where the sausage is being ground up. Um, I, I want to say one more word in my defense and um, um, try to prepare you for what, we're, what I'm going to tell you about this, this little section. But to prepare you, I want to read you one sentence out of a commentary. You know what a commentary is. You know, my library is full of commentaries. You know, you, you buy all these commentaries that explain what the text says, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so I've got, I've got more than anybody in the city of Memphis, I, I think. But who knows? Um, but I'll bring it to you if you'd, um, if you'd like. It's, a, it's an old one. I, I, I trust the older ones more than I trust the, the newer ones. But um, this was the opening sentence of a commentator about this section, okay? It's, hold on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve words, including the little ones, twelve words. This is what he said as descriptive of this section that we're going to discuss, he said this, um, this is a wailing remonstrance against an apprehended incipient state of alienation. <laughs> May I read that to you again? Because <clears throat> I know that you're really uh, enjoying that. <clears throat> He's just... <clears throat> He is describing this section this way, and I'm quoting. This is a wailing remonstrance. See, we don't even know what that word means. Uh, uh, um, uh, a remonstrance is a, and I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's a, um, it's a very vigorous argument in opposition to something that's been said. And he's describing what Paul is doing here as a wailing, wailing, you know, not W-H-A-L, but W-A-I-L. He's wailing. It's a wailing remonstrance against an apprehended, incipient state of alienation. Now, guys, the only reason I read that to you is because I'm just trying to let you know that whatever emotional outburst I might display could never match those words. You know, um, I, I, I worry about us sometimes when we're reading the Bible, and um, I, I did this the other uh, Tuesday with the staff, but we come to Exodus chapter 3 where God gives himself a name, Yahweh. And it's that scene in Exodus chapter 3 where, um, uh, you know, the bush is burning and it's talking. Not only do you have a bush that's talking, 
but you've got a bush that's on fire and not being consumed and talking. And we read that something like this. And behold, (laughs) the bush is talking and burning and not being consumed. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, is that the way that you would say that if you come up, if you came upon a bush that was burning and not being consumed and talking to you? Would you describe, would you, would you talk like that? But you see, this wailing remonstrance is so full of emotion, it is so full of passion, and that's going to make you very uncomfortable. Passion tends to make people uncomfortable. And I'm telling you, I can't change what's happening here. But this is not, this is, this is an argument. This is a, I hate to use the word fight because you start thinking of dukes up and all. It's not that. But it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pastor engaged at ev- with every fiber of his being, expressing his, his utter dismay and his shock and disappointment. And do you want me to say that like Paul is disappointed? Because that's not what's here, guys. Again, I don't know that you knew that that kind of stuff was in your Bible, but it is. And that's, that's um, what you have here is a pastor who is pleading with errant people. And then, of course, he closes it off with verse 16, which is just. So I, I say all that by way of introduction. Um, I, I will say that you are getting a look behind the scenes where the sausage is made through the eyes of the pastor, not the congregation. And, and of course, that puts me in an awkward position because I, this is giving you my perspective. <laughs> and I'm sure his audience, his readers, had a perspective too, but that's not what you're getting. That's not what you're getting. That's not what is inspired by God's Holy Spirit. It's what Paul had to say. Um, he starts out by pleading with them to become like me. He said that before. He said that once in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, but it's not like become like me in being tall, dark, and handsome. It's uh, become like me in sharing in the liberty in which Christ has made is free. You're going back into slavery, and that's the context of this whole thing. He's, he's, he's upbraiding them over the fact that they're choosing slavery over freedom. Um, and so when, his, when, he plea, when he pleads with us, when he pleads with them, um, pleads with them to become like him. It's, you know, <clears throat> go back to that place where um, when, when Christ has made you free and set you free from all that, that rule-keeping stuff. Um, and then he, he goes on to say, for I become like you. He said that, of course, in 1 Corinthians 9 before. I became all things to all men so that I might win some. Um, people have criticized that passage in 1 Corinthians 9 because it's some people have said that then Paul is compromising. That's just utter nonsense. Let me tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, preaching the gospel in Germantown is a different thing than preaching the gospel in Budapest. Uh, just trust me. 
or go try it. I mean, uh, preaching the gospel over there is really easier than preaching it over here. But um, all of us guys should be able to say something like that. That is, the goal is to see men become like we are. That is, free in Christ. And the method is to become like they are. That is, um, to, to, to shape the things that we can shape without compromise so that we can eliminate barriers so that they might hear better. So that's what he's, that's what he's stating in verse 12. Um, uh, become as I am, free in Christ, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. Um, this was not a personal injury. It had to do with their behavior concerning the gospel. Um, I said, uh, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, um, there are people who prefer rules. There are people who prefer legalism. They feel a whole lot more comfortable, a whole lot safer um, when, when they're told exactly what um, are the, the benchmarks. You know, let me just let me let me just use this one. Uh, this is a good example, I think. Giving. You know, there are some people who would just much much prefer somebody standing behind a pulpit and said, ten percent of your giving, the ten percent of your income, that's what you need to give." You've never heard me say that. You've never, and you're never going to get me to say that, because very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that's the standard for the Christian. <clears throat> I think here's the standard. Um. You go pray. You go wrestle with God over your income. And you find out what, what level of giving uh, would mean that you're a sacrificial giver, and then you're there, wherever that is. But some people would, re- would prefer the rules. Oh, okay. And so, so you have somebody making $800,000 a year who is giving 10% of that away and never missing it and call that God-honoring giving. Uh-uh, that's not true, ladies and gentlemen. It's just not true. So... There are those, however, who would much prefer to live under the banner of, of rules than to be set free in Christ, okay? Um, so Paul is, this is, not, this is not about, it's not about an injury that you, you leveled at me. It's about, it's about your behavior when it comes to the gospel that is supposed to set you free. And then you come to these, these two verses, 13 and 14. Um, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Now, guys, um, the translations vary over that, but it seems as if, it appears as if, that there had been two visits to Galatia. The first visit he describes here as, uh, you know, it was by personal injury, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But his first visit there was the one where uh, so many of the citizens of Galatia were converted. In his second visit is when he discovers that they've changed course. And then he writes this letter. So he's saying, um, uh, you know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached to you. It was not Paul's plan to be in Galatia. He was headed someplace else and um, was smitten with some kind of disease. Uh, This bodily ailment could be the same thing as this thorn in the flesh. I don't know. Uh, But whatever it was, it seems to... um, it, it seems to have disfigured him in some way because he says, um, um, uh, through my, it was a trial to you in verse 14. Whatever ailment he was dealing with, um, 
must have been gross to look at. But it was because of that, that, um, that ailment that, um, that God steered him. Um, it wasn't by his design, but it, it, uh, in his mind, it was an accidental thing. But, uh, but God put him there and used his illness to get him there. Um, and then, um, in, uh, and you see in verse 14, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel to God. Um, I was hard to look at. But that didn't, that didn't stop you from listening to what I had to say. And then we come to verse 15. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is a description of remarkable affection. It is hyperbole. Um, nobody's gouging out anybody's eyes. Uh, just like when Jesus says, chop off your right arm and uh, pull out your left eye. Um, it's to be understood as hyperbole. But what it is describing as the amazing, the remarkable affection that existed, at least on one occasion, between Paul and these Galatians. Look at it, verse 15. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Um... That has prompted many to suggest that Paul's bodily ailment was, had something to do with his eyes. Uh, we don't know that either. But what you get in verse 15 is a description of a previous relationship that was oh so intimate. So intimate that I would have suffered or they would have suffered any kind of pain um, in the interest of the relationship. You would have gouged out your eyes. Now, guys, um, we don't mind the breakup of relationships of people that we don't care about. But when you have this kind of relationship and it goes south, Um, that's pretty doggone hurtful. How does that happen? Now, again, guys, we're talking about a pastor and a congregation here. A relationship that at one time was... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't think there's anybody who's a member of Gracie Van that is tempted to gouge out their eyes to help me, you know? Um, I, I'm saying we don't have that kind of this kind of relationship. We have a good relationship, a healthy relationship. But I don't think it's like that. Nobody's talking about gouging out their eyes. But it went south. Um, there was um, uh, it sent around the staff today um, or yesterday, I think it was. Many of you know the name Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll uh, started this church up in Seattle, and it had 10 locations and 12,000 people a weekend were coming to these 10 locations, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and I forget, a couple of years ago maybe, it, I don't know how long it's been, uh, maybe 18 months or so ago, um, it, it blew up, blew sky high. And um, um, he is now being investigated for racketeering. <laughs> I don't know how a preacher 
could get into racketeering. You know, I don't even, I don't even know what that is. It's, it'd be hard for me to get into it. Um, but I mean, I, by the way, I don't, I don't think he's guilty. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he is. I, I, in fact, I'd, I'm, I'd be surprised if he were. Um, he is being uh, investigated for mismanagement of funds. Um, and by the way, he's starting a new church in Phoenix uh, on Easter Sunday morning, um, which is oh, kind of interesting. But um, uh, the only uh, reason I tell you that is, if there's this good relationship and, and racketeering and mismanagement of funds happens, I can see how that relationship went south. But you don't have anything like that. There's nothing like that that happened between Paul and these Galatians. Nobody's accusing Paul of racketeering or mismanagement of funds. Au contraire. <clears throat> and then, ladies and gentlemen, surely, surely one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible is verse 16. Have I then become your enemy? by telling you the truth? Uh, are y'all saying there's no racketeering charges and there's no mismanagement of funds, that the only complaint that you have with me is that I told you the truth? Is that it? And, and the, the idea that the word enemy, you know, um, brush him off, fire him, you know, but enemy? Really? For what? How could you, how, how do you make him an enemy? Um, you see, guys, you learn a lot about human psychology and you learn a lot about um, a lot of things, I, I, ministry, I guess, because truth does this, it forces a decision. Um, either I accept it and, and conform to it, or I, I choose to disparage the truth speaker. Guys, years ago, I mean, I, I, I wrote, I, I, wrote, I read this book in Ocala, so that was before 85. Um, it's entitled Well-Intentioned Dragons. Uh, this guy was um, Terry Mock. I mean, no, this is Marshall Shelley. I, I really love this book, and, and, and I, I would encourage you to read it. You can if you want to, but I mean, it's just, it's really for more like people like me. But anyway, he's talking about dragons in the church, dragons. And uh, he starts off by telling you what a dragon is, this mythical fire-breathing creature that consumes people, you know, with their tongues, you know, and burns them all up and everything. And so <clears throat> he talks about different kinds of dragons that are in the church. And... Um, uh, he, he then begins to describe how these dragons get created or where they come from. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm just going to read you a little bit, just maybe a paragraph. But um, this is on page 45, and um, <laughs> um, maybe not that much. <laughs> he says, dragons are often bred... In counseling, those you've counseled or their family members 
frequently become either eternally grateful for your help or infernally gravid with hate since you now know too much. People often seem to resent those who become too familiar with their intimate struggles. If the problems are not completely solved, counselees are often uncomfortable facing the counselor later. Not only does he know their problem, he knows it hasn't been solved. Um, At that point, you... um, you face a decision. Either I bring my life into conformity with the truth or I discredit the man who brought me the truth. You know, guys, have I become your enemy? It says Paul. By the way, I don't think, I don't think this has much description of this pastor and this congregation. I hope you understand that, but I'm just trying to explain the text to you. It's, it's truth that, that set them at odds to, to the point that he describes himself as one of their enemies. Um, gang, um, in the New Testament, <clears throat> There are several statements about truth. The one in John 8 that says, truth sets you free. The one in John 17 that says, um, truth sanctifies. The one in 1 Timothy 2 that says that truth saves. So truth is the stuff that sets you free, sanctifies you, and saves you. What do you want me to do with it? Hide it from you? Truth has a way of producing angry people because truth inflicts pain. Um, Enemies made by truth-telling. What a cosmic injustice. Um, Here is a friendship that is forfeited. um, Because the Apostle Paul would not give up on the truth. Guys, I want you to go with me um, to 2 Corinthians 4. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Um, let, me, let, me read you, let me read you verse the first three verses. Um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and this is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For I made up my mind not to um, make another painful visit to you, for if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I've pained? And I wrote as I did, uh, apparently rather... Um, denunciatorily, and I wrote to you as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice, for I felt sure uh, of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. 
And this is what I wanted you to see. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Do you get the, the, the incredible principle that's woven into that? Here it is. The one who loves me the most is the one who will tell me the most truth about myself. Um, gang, here at Gracie Van, we call abortion murder. It's a hard word, is it not? Why? Why do we do that? Because, um, because we want to be uh, some kind of political star? Gang, <clears throat> um, there's a couple of women in this room that, who, who would um, tell you this better than I. But you ought to listen to some of the women who've had abortions and see how they... 25, 35 years later, <clears throat> are still dealing with the guilt and shame of that event. So for us to call it murder is a desire to save the unborn, but also spare you from the horror of such an awful decision. Um, we call homosexuality sin. Why? Because we're homosexual haters? Nonsense. Nonsense. But ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you that if you're seeking to find your needs met in some kind of homosexual skirmish, it will never work. It'll never work. Why do I say that to you? Because I want the Republicans to vote for me? It's because... It's because the most loving thing to do is to tell you that God has, has designed a way by which uh, sexual desires to be satisfied, and that ain't it. Gang, um, you know, Jeremiah was one of the, um, <laughs> he was probably one of the most despised uh, men of his time. And one of the reasons is um, he knew, he, he gave us a, um, a, a, a measurement of a false prophet. Um, the prophets who preceded you and me from the ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent that prophet. But um, if it doesn't come to pass, then what you have on your hands is a false prophet. One who says, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Ladies and gentlemen, I would say to you that the gospel that Joel Osteen is preaching in Houston, Texas to this, at this very minute is the cruelest, meanest. You know, um, I, I want you to go uh, read Hebrews chapter 11 uh, about the, 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 you know, the great hall of fame of the, the great stalwarts of the faith and uh, how some of them were sawn in two, tortured, 
How does the prosperity gospel play out with those folks? Ladies and gentlemen, it is cruel to tell people that. It, 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 it produces a big audience. But it is the same false prophet as Jeremiah dealt with when they, when they were saying to Jerusalem, don't worry about those Babylonians. <laughs> peace, peace. What happened? Gang. Um, here's where the, here's where the, here's where the problems of Galatians 4, 16, here's where they come from. They come from Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. When Satan says to Eve, you will not die. God just knows that if you eat of that tree, you will become like God's. And we say, now that really sounds good. I really want to be my own God. And that means, ladies and gentlemen, that nobody can tell me I'm wrong over anything. <laughs> you're, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna think I'm a pervert, but that's, a, um, uh, I, I'm almost dead. Um, but, you know, I work out five days a week. I go to the Germantown Community Center five days a week, and I know it doesn't look like it. But, uh, but one of the things that just irritates the dickens out of me, just, you know, it's pretty small. It just irritates the dickens out of me. Um, there's, you know, there's the door that you walk in, and, you know, you show your little thing, and you, you know, get it on in there. And, and uh, right in front of there's this no parking area. This no, no parking, no parking. It's lined off, you know, no parking, no parking. Don't park in front of this door. And I'm telling you, people will drive up there and they will just turn their, is that not true, Bill? <laughs> They'll turn their cars off and just go in and, you know, and I'm sure there's some good reasons for parking there for you know, whatever, but, you know, I, I had one of the employees come to me and saying, that woman's been parked there for 30 minutes out in this no parking. And so I thought one day, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to the car and I'm going to go, Madam. It wasn't a madam. It was a man. Let's just say it was a man. I'm sure it was a man. Uh, I was going to say, madam, you're not supposed to be parking here. Now, ladies and gentlemen, tell me this. How do you think she would react to me? <laughs> I mean, I'd be on the front page as a sexual deviant. I would be... I would be I mean, I, my point is that's why I'm not going to knock on the window door because nobody is going to tell me where I can and cannot park. Because you see, I'm the law. That's where this whole spirit of, that's where, that's where truth became so devalued in a world that's relativistic and pluralistic and a culture that's been told that they can be their own gods. And so, um, truth of all things becomes the thing that makes us enemies. That's hard to live with. You know, guys, uh, on um, January the 26th of this year, I had a colonoscopy. 
And um, before my colonoscopy, I had to drink some terrible stuff. But you see, to get to truth, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go through a lot of pain <laughs> and humiliation, and <clears throat> that gas, that's just the, that's just the nature of discovering because we're fallen and broken, folks. And so when somebody tells me the truth, my, my initial, maybe my first reaction is, I got to discredit him. I'm going to say one other thing, um, and I probably shouldn't say this, <laughs> but I, I, think it's, I think it's consistent with the text. That's the only reason I brought this book out. Um, there is a, there is a uh, pastor, Paul, and a commentarian saying this is a wailing remonstrance against an apprehended incipient state of alienation. If he can say that, I can say this. You know, guys, um, when, when Peter denied Christ three times, you know this story at the end of the Gospel of John. Um, and they're walking off the seashore, and do you love me? Yeah, you love me. And he said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So I don't know whether I do it well, or I don't know whether I do it rightly. I'm sure there's error, and you need to always be on guard. But at least I think that the way that I'm loving you is by telling you the truth. Years ago, um, I've told you about my friend who was the conservative Republican that served uh, 11 terms at, in, in the in D.C. His name was Cliff Stearns. And Cliff Stearns brought this book to me. <laughs> it's entitled, They Cry Too. And it's about pastors. Guys, I want to be loved just like anybody else in this room. I have the same insecurities that the rest of you have. I want to be loved too. But you got to know, just like the Apostle Paul, we cry too. And that's what I think you see in this section of the book of Galatians, which is unparalleled in terms of a pastor's love for his congregation. We better quit there. Our Father, I, I pray that you will uh, remind your people of the great beauty of truth, that um, the, the purpose of it is to set us free, to sanctify us, to save us. And I pray, Lord, that um, the truth might be told here, that it might be supported here, that it might be loved here, and that you would prevent the devil from creating havoc where truth is... Um, is so loved and so valued by so many in this room and in this congregation. Lord, grant us grace to teach it well. And um, the, the assignment to the rest of us is now that we've heard it, <clears throat> to try and go, not simply know it, but conform to it. Enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you. And